Hey, I'm Erin Bridgman, a money mindset and management coach for the creative entrepreneur. I'm the girl behind the Wealthy Woman Movement that's reaching thousands and expanding each and every month. And I'm so glad you've decided to join this community too. Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Podcast for creative female entrepreneurs looking to get strategic with their money. I believe that wealthy women will change the world. And in this podcast, we include money-related mindset and management tips and practical business advice you can apply right away. No fluff here. It's time to take action. Let me shoot it to you straight. Talking about money is like talking about sex. It's vulnerable and uncomfortable, but so necessary. And that's why I've created a judgment-free zone where women like you can trade the shame and money skeletons in your closet with empowerment and confidence that helps you master your money. I'm both the creative and the nerd, the no bullshit friend and your hype girl. And I'm excited to be your guide on your money journey. All your dreams are tied to money. So it's time to get that money working for you so you can make your dreams a reality together. Your business should be the catalyst to living your dream life. So don't let your money be the obstacle. Grab your notebook and your favorite drink and let's dive in. Hello, wealthy women, and welcome back to the show. Today, I sit across from, before I press record, I said, you are one of my angels. I am so honored and so excited to have... Ooh, I'm going to say Dr. Elizabeth Cronin on the show today. She's a very dear friend of mine. She's a part of my peer mastermind, and she is an expert on the brain. She's a clinical psychologist and certified mindfulness meditation teacher, and she's the author of Mindfulness Journal for Mental Health. She's also a host for the New Books Network podcast and interviews authors of books on psychology, spiritual practice, and mindfulness. She has so, so many things that we could go into why she's an expert on the brain, why she's an expert on mindfulness. But the beautiful thing about Elizabeth is her heart and her love for the people around her. And I am so honored to have her on the show. Elizabeth, welcome. So happy. Well, I'm so excited to be here because all those good feelings are mutual. Well, you have changed my life in the little work that I've been able to do with you. And I'm excited to get back to that work and just being in your presence, Elizabeth, you are a wise soul that is, is doing and has done so much of this internal work. Uh, We were driving out to, what was it like five of us driving out to Breckenridge and Elizabeth's driving, talking about her silent retreat. She's getting ready to go on. And we're like, wow, like, this is so impressive. And like, how can you do this? But tell us a little bit about you, Elizabeth, like all, all, all the stuff you do inside your business. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that, but like who you are, and then let's jump right into the brain and why it matters when it comes to money. Awesome. Yeah. So let me just add to it too, because it feels incomplete to have a bio without saying that I'm also a mom. And I also am from a big family and one of seven kids. And those things really, you know, when you think about, and when we get into whatever we end up talking about today, you you always want to think about the larger context of everything, you know, whatever thoughts or behaviors or goals we set, they're all in the context of this larger experience of the life we've been living. So that very much shapes who I am being a mom and, and being part of a large large family, because it, you know, gives you experiences that then you bring to whatever it is you're doing. So for example, I'm very comfortable just jumping in and doing something like this today, because I'm used to just having conversations with lots of different people. So excited to be here. I also just want to say too, that how, how much I have learned from you. I am your quintessential client who wants so much to be on top of all my finances and to be feel confident. I mean, I I worry about money, regardless of what my bank statement says. And that just comes from a history of being anxious about it. And I think we're going to try to crack that nut a little bit today and talk about that. Um, And you just have given me really good practical tools. And I just so much appreciate the spreadsheets, the, the, the insight, the guidance around how to approach it and, and the discipline all of that. So that's just a little plug for you, for your listeners, because I'm someone who's also learned so much from you. 
my goodness. Well, tell us a little bit about your studies. Like, I don't even think I know this. Like, why are you, I know you are, but like, how did you become an expert in the brain, in mindfulness? What's your background with, with that? Oh, I love that you just asked that question because I wanted to- And then I said, I'm like a dear friend for two and a half years and you're peer mastermind. I'm like, I don't actually know fully because you're so humble and you so don't lead with that. I've never called you Dr. Elizabeth Cronin. It was really kind of really cool to do that. But yeah, tell me, tell me, sorry. Well, that's one of the things that I think- is an interesting issue for me in terms of like money. And it might be something your listeners can relate to too, is that what are the feelings associated with being successful or maybe having more than somebody else? You know, I mean, and and do you have that sense of like, it's not, it's not healthy or it's not respectable to want to have a lot of money or to want certain things. And so when you even say Dr. Elizabeth Cronin, there's a part of me that inside cringes because I don't really want to be differentiated from anybody else. And it actually sometimes can make me feel kind of anxious. Like then there's a different set of expectations around that. Like, and the other thing too, is you saying, okay, she's an expert on the brain. One of the things I find so comforting is actually the work of Dr. Well, it's John Kabat-Zinn, we'll just call him by that name. And he actually does a lot of, he developed mindfulness-based stress reduction. He was one of the early providers who actually taught meditation as a way to manage chronic severe pain. And one of his major teachings that I always go back to over and over again is that we don't want to be an expert on anything. Once you become an expert, once you think you know it all, and you've mastered some material, you've now gone so far from that beginner's mind or a child's mind. And if you just look at a child, how they operate, they're just, everything is so wonderful and everything is to be explored and ask questions. And as soon as you get to a place where you think you have the answer, the, the right answer, you are now closing off all the other possibilities all the other possibilities. So even if you take something as simple as where I like my candlesticks on my table, you know, and you have a place where they go and someone moves them and you go, no, 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 no. They don't go there. And you get all upset. If you could just stop for a minute, you might actually see that these, whoever moved them, put them someplace that looks lovely. It's this, and this is what I think we're going to try to talk about today is like, how do we get so rigid in our thinking? You know, why do we even think somebody could be an expert on something? What does that mean? Do you know everything there is to know about a subject? And do we need to be an expert to have information we can share with others? Mm. And I know this resonates with you because you're very much someone who encourages others to like, hey, work with what you have. You you have enough knowledge and information. You know, you know, you have worked with people like myself who I want to figure it all out. I want to know everything before I even launch my next product. I've got to, it's all got to be lined up. I'm like, go, 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 go. Okay. So we won't say an expert on the brain. You could, you guys are listening into this conversation. You're probably like already so in love with Elizabeth and her approach, but tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are, how you are able to understand and help people with mindfulness, help people understand the brain. Obviously you did some schooling, you did some stuff there. Just give us some context for that. Sure. Sure. The context, again, you have to look at the bigger picture. It goes back to being the way it was as a kid. I mean, it was probably one of those annoying kids who said, why this, why that? I was a kid with the, with a very active, um, curiosity. And, and it was also extremely sensitive. So I think, as we know now, more highly sensitive people are very aware. They're very aware. They're very alert. They notice things. They pick up on other people's feelings. Some people have heard the term empath. So that's where it was. So when you take in a lot of information, you, you're always saying, well, how do I understand this? What am I going to do with it? So from the, from childhood, I always wanted to understand and go deeper and deeper, figure things out and know not just why people do what they do or why I was feeling the way I was feeling, but then what would be a constructive thing to do? You know, so I was one of the kids that when my, one of my sister's 
nightgown caught on fire when she was little. And I was one of those kids who was like, okay, figure out what to do and everything. And, you know, got my younger siblings out of the house following the fire drill, you know, just, I think I was also anxious. So I liked thinking that, you know, there were not just one way to deal with it, but I like thinking that there were a lot of possibilities. So I was always curious about possibilities. So I just, you know, I made it through elementary school. And I say that because I don't know anyone who had a hard time in particular in middle school, you're like, I think you kind of survive middle school. High school can be a mixed bag as well. And then I, when I got to college, I was just really interested in, I was interested in psychology, but I felt a little intimidated by it. I felt like if I study psychology, it's going to stir up all my emotions. And so I felt a little, so I did communications. um, But then I was After I graduated, I was working at Harvard University and had the opportunity to take a course um, as an employee. And then I applied to the Graduate School of Education and I took courses in human development and psychology. And I just was like, it was like, I felt like a kid in the candy. Like I can, I could take whatever class, you know, undergrad, you have all your requirements. And it was like, I can choose my courses. So that was an incredible experience. Um, I wanted to keep going, but I, I already had one. I had a three-month-old when I started graduate school, and then I ended up having a second child. So I put it off, and then thirteen years later, I'd had, by then I'd had three children, and my youngest was going into first grade. And I said, "Okay, I, I still wanted to go back and you know go for the doctorate." And so I jumped in, and um, I went to William James College, and I I studied psychology. Now, along the way, I had been doing different trainings. And I'd I'd learned about this orientation about sort of a a mindfulness orientation. And also read a lot of parenting books, where, you know, and anyone who's got kids, you you learn, you have to develop some skills, you didn't think you would need as a parent, you have to really learn, you know, yeah, You, you have to learn how to like, in the moment, regulate your emotions. Just was literally doing that. I was literally just, I had a little bit of time in between calls and we didn't do grocery shopping this week. So I decided to take Ava. I said, you can come. I was really thinking it'd be nice to just come by myself and have a few, but little date with mommy. And you're, I mean, when you were talking about kids and how they're just like, she just, it's 80 something degrees today. And she's wearing snow gloves because she wants to, I have no idea why she just wants to wear them. And it's very important to her to to wear them and I'm like trying to rush back let's get back and she's like no she's like putting her gloves on and she's like mommy I'm talking to you and I was like hey deep breath it's okay if it takes 60 seconds to let her put these mittens on and talk to me and tell me about why you shouldn't no more monkeys jumping on the bed and weird conversation because she felt so seen in that moment but it does take you this like center myself or when they're having crazy tantrums so I I'm so in that stage of life well and I think that's that's the thing that I think look when when I teach people how to meditate I really want them to hook into that that you're actually going to be practicing something you do out of necessity at certain times so it's not like it's something it's really like this new daunting thing it's something you do but you don't do it frequently enough for it to become easy and and that's often when you, as a parent, what if you treated yourself or responded to yourself the way you were responding to your child? Like, what if you were like, it's actually okay if I need to take another minute to do this. It's a, versus the self-talk that most of us deal with all the time, which is just pressure, like hurry up, get it done. You're running behind. You're going to be late. It has to be perfect. So, you know, kind of segueing. So, so for me, reading some of the parenting books, I started to make connections like, oh, why, why doesn't everybody talk to children like this? It was, for me, it was mind boggling, like, oh, oh, listen to you, listen to them and stuff. So, and of course, you know, the previous generations, they were taught to discipline their kids. I mean, wasn't like they were doing something wrong. It was what they were taught and they had good intentions and they were good parents. So, so that kind of got me into what, by the time I was getting my doctorate degree, I'd already been introduced a little to sort of the mindful approach. And then I just started doing more and more training. And I felt like as a therapist, learning more and more about meditation and mindfulness 
fit with my style of working with anybody, any client who comes to me um, for therapy, you know, usually there's something that's really not going well. So that's how coaching can be a little bit different is that usually there's some, you know, could be some deeper emotional pain. And it's really helpful to bring that sort of mindful orientation to it. Like, okay, yes, there is, but your your whole life isn't in shambles. Like there is some particular thing not going well, but, you know, so it's, it's just kind of, again, I, I keep going back to like, just, we need to look at everything in a larger context. And again, when you think you're an expert, you keep things narrow, like, oh, I figured it all out. These are the answers. And that's what we learn in, in school. This is, there's a right answer to the math problem. There's a right answer to this. You know, I asked you a question about the essay you read. This is the answer I want. Every, everything is graded as right or wrong. Not like, oh, that's actually a very, very clever alternative answer. I like that. We don't get that feedback. I want us to just like jump right in and pretend like we're almost not recording. And I sent you an audio message. So let's just start there with the brain. So what I've noticed as I work with people specific to, uh, you know, money is it's very illogical. The fear that comes up people, for example, I mean, I remember sitting in, in the room with, you know, I mean, tons of times, brilliant, amazing women doing incredible things. And they'll come up with their, they're making $10,000, $15,000 a month, very consistently. And then they start to make these decisions where they're like, but what if I don't make money for the next three months? And if I don't make money for the next three months, then I won't be able to pay this person. So maybe I shouldn't hire them. And I'm like, okay, wait, that is completely illogical and just so out of fear. And I started to like get really curious about this. Like, I wonder what's happening inside of the brain and why the response is so illogically based in fear. And I was learning about the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. And like, could you just explain a little bit about the brain and like how we like why we go into that? intense fear because I know so many of the listeners and so many of my clients are like they're like the instant the conversation becomes about money literally people are like these are words recently my armpits are starting to get sweaty or like I'm about to have anytime I think about taxes I'm gonna have a panic attack so this is like what's happening can you explain sort of the brain a little bit and like what's going on for us getting straight into this illogical fear Yes. And right off the bat, because I do interview authors for the New Books Network, I interviewed recently Lisa Feldman Barrett, who's a neuroscientist who's really on to like sort of the latest research on the brain. And so she's got two really good books. The first one's called How Emotions Are Made. I highly recommend it. Um, And a shorter book that's very accessible to people is called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. So it's, it's like literally seven and a half little lessons about the brain. And it will help anybody get a better understanding of how the brain works. One of the key things that I think your listeners might benefit from is knowing that she she will say, the brain isn't for thinking. The brain, you don't say like, oh, I have these goals and my brain's gonna help me reach, reach those goals. It's gonna help me think of clever ways to get there. She's, the primary responsibility of the brain is to keep us safe. And after it can keep us safe, the goal of the, of the responsibility or the purpose of the brain is if once it keeps us safe, it's to then regulate the body. So it, in fact, you would like this, Erin. She says that the, the brain is in charge of managing the bud, budget, your body's budget. So you can look that up because that's a fascinating book. What she will say is that the brain, which represents for most people, 2%, if you're 150 pounds, the brain is about 2% of your body weight. And yet the brain uses 20% of our daily resources. And by daily resource, sodium levels, potassium, glucose, oxygen, all of the things that we need to, you know, that keep us operating. Our body has to pools all those resources and the brain is taking up so much of it because the brain is overseeing and coordinating everything. And because the brain wants to make sure it's managing things as best it can, it uses lots of shortcuts. So it does things like, well, so in in psychology, we call them cognitive distortions. 
So we develop a lot of beliefs, a lot of ideas that we think are like shortcuts to um, problem solving or whatever, like, or even like that idea that there's a one way to do something. If, if there's only one way to do something and you don't have to think about all the possibilities, it makes life easier, right? I mean, if there's one way to get to work and you can take it every, it makes going to work easier. If you said to yourself, oh, I'm going to take a different way to work every, for the, for the week. Now you've got to figure out, you don't, you're in novel territory. And it, anytime we're in new territory or unfamiliar circumstances, more effort is required. So the brain uses more resources in the brain because it's keeping track of everything notices that and says, hmm, use shortcuts when we can. Right. So, so basically what ends up happening is if you are feeling anxious about anything, a task or a situation you want to get curious about, like, again, what is my previous experience? Because the brain uses like three key ingredients and it's really worth like evaluating that. If when it creates an emotion, which is what the brain does, it creates emotions for us. It's relying on sensory data from the external environment. So it would be like, you know, whether or not you're in an environment where you're really feeling cold or whatever that, you know, or the people that you're around, you're around somebody that's an authority figure and you're feeling, you know, like that's making you nervous, right? So the external environment, your body processes sensory data. And that, that usually comes in through all of our senses, our five senses. Then there's something called interoception, which is the brain process sensory data that comes through the body. And that's like, how's the digestive system going? Or is there muscle tension? Is there pain? So it's sort of the internal body bodily experience that gets fed up to the brain. And we're so out of touch with a lot of that. We're so out of touch with what's happening. I can remember learning to meditate and being like, now you might feel tingling sensations. I was like, what? I don't feel tingling where, and now I can actually feel all kinds of sensations, but I was so unaware. I, I, you know, you have to, you get better at noticing when you pay attention. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing that the brain references when it creates an emotion is when I've been in this external environment, that's sending this info to me and my body inside has felt like this, what previous experience or knowledge have I acquired? that tells me what I should do. And so for anybody that literally starts to sweat at the idea of paying taxes or whatever, there they have felt sweaty and anxious and have been in some particular environment. Maybe it's like, you know, a kitchen. Anytime I'm in the kitchen and I think of taxes, I get sweaty and anxious because that's the, that's the combination that you've experienced in the past. So if you take an example of just somebody, why some people are afraid of dogs and others aren't, right? Why would someone be afraid to get on an elevator? Usually there's been, and it doesn't mean that they had to get stuck on an elevator, but they might've been four years old and heard a story, overheard adults talking about it and felt horrible about it. And then nothing again for four years. And then they were eight years old and heard a story and it just struck them in a particular way and they could never get, and it's, so this is the killer is that about 95% of our thoughts are below the conscious level of awareness. So it's, you don't even know what thoughts or beliefs are making you feel that way. You just, you just know you feel that way. Does that make sense? Oh, so much. So let's dive in. So yeah. let's work through, we could do one of mine, but I think is like relevant to a lot of people is, or, or you can throw out other money examples, but I have this belief that I'm continuously trying to work through and trying to, you know, uh, change my belief around. And that is that I have to work really hard to make good money. And so I know my desire and I, I know that I've tapped into this and like it is that money can flow to me with ease and fulfillment. And I don't have to like grind 80 hours a week. Right. So you know, that's an example, or we could go down the path of like, I'm not worthy to make a lot of money doing something I love. Or another limiting belief that people have might be, I'm just really not good at math, or I'm not good at being disciplined. So I'm always going to find myself in this financial situation, I can't get ahead. So maybe like, these thought like to help us how do we change these beliefs? Like, how do we 
start to create sustainable change and a new relationship with money. So again, because the way the brain creates the emotion, if in the future you would like to have a different emotion. So if in the future, if you're afraid of dogs and in the future, you want to be able to encounter a dog and not be afraid. You want to be able to do your taxes and not freak out. If you want to check your bank account and not get sweaty armpits. Yes. Then what you have to do is you have to have the experience that you want to have in the future. You have to have that experience multiple times in advance of when you want to have the experience. Okay. So for example, like for whatever reason, my thing is that if I were really successful and made a lot of money, people would be upset by that. That would upset people, would bother people. I might lose friends or whatever that, you know, that that's not, that wouldn't be a good thing for my relationships. I don't know. Somewhere in my experience, I got multiple exposure to people having money or not having money and it being problematic for their relationships. Plenty of people. I mean, this is a country full of people who came here from other countries through hardship and suffered and struggled and multiple families lived. So it's not an uncommon thing to have this idea in your head that, yeah, you know, mm, people will kind of be jealous or resent you or whatever. So it doesn't, you don't really have to go. You just need to do a deep enough dive into like what your issue is. You don't have to get to the root of it, but then what you have to do is say, Hmm, how am I going to provide an alternative experience? So for example, it might be something like if I have trouble opening up my bank account, like I don't want to look at my bank statements. You have to, you have to remember what creates the environment. Part of it's the external environment. You have to change what you can, which is the external environment. Play nice music, light a candle, pour a glass of wine, sit down with somebody who you really feel, who makes you feel happy and safe and open up your bank account. Look at your bank account. You see what I'm saying? Now the brain, because the brain isn't thinking, the brain is recording. And to, you know, the hippocampus is one of the areas where we store a lot of our memories. And, and the amygdala is very involved in putting like a negative or fearful overlay to any experience. So you have to control what you can control. So you control that. And then also, if when you go to do that, you realize you get sweaty or whatever that. You make sure that you have like a nice fan going. So you, and you take care of, and you don't look at your bank statement. If you're hungry or tired, you, you make sure that the internal sensations are going to be neutral. They don't have to be pleasant, but neutral. And your external environment is, so one of the things like when kids have sensory issues, they'll take kids, my, my son for a while, like he was grow up, he got motion sickness. So he did that. They intentionally would get him very, very dizzy, but immediately move in and provide comfort and soothing in the environment so that they would arouse those negative feelings and immediately soothe him so that eventually he, his brain could immediately soothe himself and he didn't get car sick anymore. So it's that kind of thing. So that's, that's one way that, one way that you do it. So you can control your environment and all that. The other thing that's really cool is, and I know you, you're aware of this too, but if you look into it, there's, there is research on it, the success of this, you just visualize. So you don't have to, we can't go back in time and have better experiences in childhood. We can practice visualizing how we're going to feel and not, you want to visualize how you're going to feel, not just what it's going to look like or what you're going to do with your money or what you're going to do when you you have to visualize or imagine how you will feel how you will feel if you can't have a different feeling associated to an experience then the brain has nothing to access in the future when you want to have that feeling talk a little bit more about visualizations like i we know that the brain doesn't know the difference between something that's really happened or so, or something like a visualization this is why like when we're in movies we're like oh my god don't go through that door you know like we're like we our brains like <laughs> it's not thinking like you said but like you know and so what is the power you know i do i do work with uh, like one of the things i do is that visualization with like w- 
becoming the wealth you're meeting the future version of yourself as a wealthy woman what's it like to meet her and all you know all these things but you can why is that helpful why is that powerful you go like a little deeper and there's small ways that we can even do that even if a coach isn't walking you through visualization like small ways you can do that around your your money story well you're right when you're watching a movie and and this again i just want to give credit to lisa feldman barrett because she said to me she said yeah, your your brain is basically this two pound, three pound blob in between your ears in a dark, bony skull. It doesn't see anything or do any. I mean, it's it's totally so it's not thinking, it's processing the data and information coming through you, right? And what's it doing? It's creating emotions. So when you're watching a movie, you're just feeling the you're feeling the fear, you're feeling the joy, you're feeling the the angst. You're feeling the sadness. You're feeling, that's what your brain does. It creates emotions. It's not telling you like, oh, get up and go buy popcorn. I mean, it's not giving you ideas. It's creating emotions. So I love that you brought that up. So this is the other piece of it. For something to become part of that sort of 95%, sort of the automatic, you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. So, you know, a lot of people have read Atomic Habits or the other one tiny, small changes or whatever. I mean, there's just so much out there. That's the part that people struggle with. It's like, it's not a one and done thing. If you get sweaty at the thought of paying taxes, you've had many, many experiences of hearing the word taxes, seeing someone write it over and over. Okay. What really makes something stick? What really gets, you know, filed away is when We've had an experience, something has been taught to us by an authority figure. So if a teacher or a parent tells us, we pay attention. So an authority figure, when what we were told really had a dramatic emotional effect on us. Like if someone goes, stop, and you you really get afraid, you you remember that. You This is what we remember. And then when it's repeated over and over and over again. So those are the criteria. So that's what you're going to have to do to get to a different place. You're going to need some guided. You're going to need to get somebody of authority. This is why coaching can be really helpful. Somebody who you really see as see as an authority, not an expert, just an authority, <laughs> right? Right. Yes. There's a difference. Just someone who's who's an authority, and you want that person. And this is why, again, in therapy, it's hugely helpful for someone to come in here for me. Oh, that's normal. You you were feeling really weird about that like that? No, 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 that, that, that's normal. Hugely helpful. Maybe their friends have been telling him it's normal for a long time, but they, they need to hear it from somebody in a position of authority. So that's, that's, and then you need to, again, you need to create the positive emotions. You need to be able, so that's where, again, it's nice working with you because you have the, you know, you're an authority on a lot of these matters and you're so warm and caring and the way you interact with everybody. See that, that is a corrupt, what we call in therapy, a corrective experience. It corrects for the previous experiences when the environment, the experience was so tense and stressful. And, you know, that's why your approach is. And then repetition, repetition, repetition. So that speaks to in between a coaching session with you, people have to practice. And I'm, you know, I meditate every day. I, I didn't, I had to go to a silent retreat for a week before I, once I, when you meditate for eight or nine hours every day for a week, it's nothing to come back and meditate for one hour a day. I mean, that's, it's like a boot camp, and you come back and you're like, oh yeah, I can do that. But it took me that long because a lot of times I sit there and I feel like it's boring. Is this really doing anything? So you, you could try visualizing and be like, oh my gosh, I, I don't even know if this is worth it. So I just want to say, it's, it sounds easy and simple, but there's a lot of automatic negative thoughts about what's a good use of your time. So it's not just how you feel about money, Erin. It's also like, how do you feel about what you'd have to do to feel different about money? See what I mean? It's like, that's it. Cause like what you have to do can get into sort of woo woo land. What you have to do can get into kind of like this doesn't seem, it seems dumb or stupid. What you have to do is, is very much against 
the traditional work hard. It's like, no, you don't have to work hard. If you want to be more comfortable with money, you have to sit for 10 minutes every day and relax and just settle your mind. And the people are like, well, that I think it'd be better if I spent that 10 minutes sending emails to people or creating some content for social media. So, so it's, there's a lot of it. The mindset stuff isn't your mindset just about money. Your mindset's also about how, how do we change? So the visualization piece is about creating that positive emotion around something that you previously have lots of repetition around negative emotion. And maybe you could speak to some really practical ways of doing this. One thing that I have had clients do is write that letter from their future self and how they feel and how what's going on in their world. And then you record it on your phone and you listen to it every day or you have it in a place that you read, you know, like, so that's a way to be in touch with this future vision of yourself. Another like really micro way uh, that we do it is through those em- be empowered wealthy woman activities mm-hmm. where you start to do things that is in the new identity of being a wealthy woman. It, like this is when you, you know, decide you're going to use that, you know, that face oil that you normally just save or leave on the shelf, you know, because or whatever, or you're going to pick the flowers and make the bouquet and not, you know, and actually put it somewhere and not just like, I'm going to save them on the bush and let them die there, you know, or whatever it is, you're going to open the bottle of wine. You normally only save for company and you're going to take, take that, or you're going to say, you know why I, I need to upgrade my underwear, like whatever it is, but it's these micro ways of tapping into that future identity that is very a very po- positive like correlation with those types of activities and it's small ways of, of doing that. Do you have any other like really tangible ways or ideas that people can start to step into visualization on a day in a daily practice? So I think uh, you and I have talked about this before, but I I just probably a couple of years ago, started doing that morning practice of savers where, you know, you put aside a certain amount of time and, and look at, again, this goes with like the idea that somebody's an expert. I'm like, don't do anything the way you it's taught to you or explained to you, do it the way it works for you. So, you know, you got to find your own approach to everything because that's going to work best, but it's the idea that you just get into sort of this, a routine. And again, a routine because anything you do on a routine basis over and over become so it's so easy for me now to get up and do my 10 minutes of like yoga stretching kind of thing and i i'm beginning i was like i haven't really want to do it and i just told myself but you just do it anyway because you have to in order for it so you just you have to part of what i think again too aaron is just setting an intention setting an intention and then just sticking with something long enough for it to become automatic. So I mean, that's, that's a sort of a practical thing and experimenting with what helps you. Some people, I'm a big person on like vision boards, because I think it's helpful. If you're more of an auditory person, maybe some recorded affirmations or recording the letter to your future self, you know, you really, you have to find your own way and you have to be open-minded and be willing to explore. And you have to be willing to try things that the internal commentary is, oh, that's stupid or dumb, or, you know, I've heard people say like, you know, read, read affirmations to yourself while you're looking at the mirror. And they're like, okay, I'll do that. But only if nobody's in the house, you know, you have to address the other mindset issues, the other beliefs that are keeping you from addressing your money mindset issues. Does that make sense? It's like, you can't address your, your money mindset issues. If you can't, Embrace the possibility that visualizing is effective. I mean, there are deeper issues. So, so there's sort of different layers. So I would, I would, one of the reasons why I'm big on meditation is that sometimes you can just sit and when your eyes are shut and you're, you tell yourself, no matter what happens, you're not getting up. You're just going to sit there for five minutes or 10 minutes. In that process of inhibiting automatic reactivity, 
you actually start to realize what's coming up over and over again. You get some access into that, that stuff that's buried below the, the line of conscious awareness. And then you start to realize like, oh, yeah, I've been trying to deal with my money mindset issues, but really, I don't think people change. I just don't think people change. And that's that's a bigger issue. Do you see what I'm saying? So what if you don't Absolutely. believe people change and you keep trying to change by visualizing whatever? Your your brain knows what's been filed away there. And it'll just keep saying like, oh, we resist this. We don't feel comfortable with this money mindset thing. What's the deeper issue that's getting in the way? Mm. So that's sort of a pitch for, you know, doing your own personal work. And sometimes that's, you know, sometimes that's therapy. Sometimes that's finding a guide who can go deeper with you into painful stuff because anything that's difficult is pretty buried. And it's, I think that goes back to that 95% of our thoughts are unconscious. And I think that's why it's when people come to work with me, they have had some conscious thought, like some, some awareness come to the surface that they're like open and willing. And that's what I always celebrate is the first step to change is awareness. The fact that you are aware is huge. Even, uh, you know, whether it's actual like action, like, oh my gosh, I am now aware of how much I spend every month and I can change that. Or I am now aware of this belief that I have. Awareness is so huge in the process. Can we go back just a little bit to the very beginning when you talked about how the brain is designed to keep us safe and the implications of that? Because I think that's so important just to give ourselves grace and understanding of how to guide our brains. So you know, I think like you've talked to me about how how majority of our thoughts are negative, how many thoughts we have a day, why our brain is designed uh, to keep us safe. Can you just talk a little bit more about that, that and give us a little more context for our brain? Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of people will have heard of this because it's popular in sort of the self-help community, but the negativity bias that we have. So, you know, we're, we always look for like, is there any kind of possible threat or danger or negative anything negative to this next activity we want to do or behavior. And so if you're going to get beyond that, you're going to have to kind of like, this sort of gets into self-talk. You're going to have to kind of coach yourself through difficulty. And so I'll, I'll reference something when I was, did your program and we were supposed to act like wealthy women. I did things like, <laughs> you're going to laugh when you hear this. Cause I was like, I was like, okay, the whole week I'm going to tip like 30 or 40%. I'm just going to practice like, cause if I, if I were really, really wealthy and had lots of money, I would just tip everybody 40%. That would give me so much pleasure to just be like, so like if I got my hair done or if I got my nails done, or even if I got something saying, we make a donation, I just upped everything as if like, you know, that, and I, I had thoughts like, oh boy, I'm going to run through my, you know, like my monthly amount of money in my account. I'm going to drain. And I just had those thoughts tonight. I just, because I was part of this program being held, that's the other thing, get with a group of people that hold you through. That's what I'm saying. Don't try to do stuff on your own. Get a guide, get a coach. That's the piece of this because that, you see, that's that, that external environment piece where, you know, you develop these fears in the context of relationships. So you're going to work them out in the context of relationships. That's something I really want to write about someday is how, how, and there's a lot more research coming out about that, but it's the, get the support that you need. Because while I was in your group, I would just say to myself, we're doing this for a week. It's okay. I just had self-soothing comments to make, and I'm not doing it by myself. All the kind of things you would do if you were going to jump off the high dive. Okay. All my friends are doing it. You know, that kind of stuff that is not, especially for women, that is not typically the self-talk that we have. So that's another thing that can get in the way. You can have the mindset, you can want to work on it, but you don't realize how bad your self-talk is. Mm-hmm. So this negativity bias, like what is that exactly? Like, yeah, tell us more about that. And why do we have that? Why does our brain have that? Well, so some of the reason why is the culture, right? I mean, do you want to drive or do you want to wear an outfit that is that that doesn't match a top that doesn't match the pants? I mean, it's, it's the same reason why, you know, you didn't really want even to wear mittens on a you know hot day. It's like, what will people think? Right. 
And that goes back to when we were, you know, all living out in sort of the wilderness. If you did something different or odd, maybe the clan would leave you behind, you'd get rejected or left out or something. And so for survival reasons, we had to worry about fitting in and what other people would think. So that's that's the thing. We're always on guard for like, how is this going to be perceived? Is this going to be a problem? Again, it's a big, it's a big safety issue. And so for a lot of people, myself included, that's a thing for me. Like, would it be safe for me to make a lot of money? What would happen? What would happen? And then what would I need to do so that it could feel safe? Because it doesn't feel safe. It also doesn't always feel safe to, to give everybody 30 or 30% of a tip. I mean, why doesn't that feel safe? And so how do we, and again, like I said, some of this is what's, what's difficult is you really need to work with a guide or get into a group because you need trial and error. There isn't one size that's going to work for everybody. And there's going to be, you're going to try certain things and you're going to realize, wait a minute, there's a deeper issue here. And you're going to just, you need that sort of moral support and the encouragement. Um, so you need to, again, and, and obviously you can't do this work if you're sleep deprived. You can't do this work when you're, you know, if you don't have I mean, this is a, it's a luxury to do money mindset work. I mean, you have to, things have to be pretty stable in your life to do it. I think in a way, Erin, what I'm trying to do too, though, is just honor the complexity of it and really emphasize it is. So, so if you try, this, my big thing is that there's so many self-help books out there. Okay. You're going to read these books, but if you don't bring it into it, the context of working with a coach or a therapist or getting yourself into a group. You're sitting alone. What ends up happening is you start to go like, well, I can't even do this. The nine easy steps and I can't even do it. I can't even do it because again, you're not looking at the larger context. Well, yeah, you you need the emotional support to help you get outside your comfort zone. So true. I think that it's beautiful how much um, relationships are so key and community is so key. Brett and I have a therapist that we work with and she teaches like the Imago way. And she talks about how like denies like wounds and our strengths. We were, we were designed to come together to heal each other. It's just so beautiful. And I think that that's so true in all different ways. Like you have been someone to, to, help my anxiety and to slow down and take deep breaths and you know all these things like way more than that and you know I get to be that for people with money and I just I I do just love like the fascination with the brain and just like understanding like the negativity bias right where you're talking about like because our brain is designed to keep us safe and because it like like that's the function of the brain is constantly trying to see like, is there some, is there a problem? Where's the problems? Here's the problem. Oh my gosh, this could be a problem. If I wear this out, it could be a problem. Like even if it's happening at a very um, subconscious level, like that is what our brain is typically doing. It's not typically being like, you are supported. You have all the resources that you need. Like you, and this is, this is why I think, you know, so much of our illogical, we, we are often in a fear state because of the brain. And that's why it's so important for us to do the work because we can, like, you know, this way more than I do, like rewire a brain. Like, can you like, can we wrap up with that idea of like the actual ability for us to rewire our brain? How like we can move out of fear into abundance and like we can actually change the like anatomy of our brain. Will you like, can we wrap up with that conversation a little bit? Yes. Yeah. That's actually interesting because um, the fight or flight response, which is the physiological experience that you have, I mean, of, of fear um, was a, someone discovered that at Harvard. It's, it's um, what's his name? Walter Cannon. Um, he discovered that before we discovered the relaxation response, they were both research being done at Harvard. And so first we've discovered that the body, when it's perceiving threat, responds a certain way. 
And anytime you put yourself in the situation where you're feeling a perceived threat, you will experience the same physiological arousal. You know, people know what they are. Your chest, you know, pain in your chest, sweating, increased rapid heart rate, breathing, all of that. But what didn't get as widely spread is the relaxation response. So fight or flight is a natural response, but the body also has a natural response to, to become relaxed. So it's the sympathetic nervous system that puts us into fight or flight mode and the parasympathetic nervous system that restores a sense of calm and ease and peace and balance. You can practice invoking either one. And so if you want to rewire your brain, what you have to do is have an antidote to the, to the, to the frenzied life that we have. You have to have some regular routine where you're just learning to calm down. You just do. You just do. Because what perpetuates that is this culture. You know, if you think about it, I say this a lot to, to a lot of people. Look, why did my Tide laundry detergent, it's new and improved, that I don't see any difference and it was working fine, what I bought last month, but now it's been new and improved. Like, I don't understand that. It's just the message in our culture is nothing is good enough. Nothing's good enough. It has to constantly be new and improved. They're always having to like, you know, because the, the idea is that it's getting boring. This is getting, so there's pressure on everybody to go fast, get ahead, be the best, make everything new and improved. I mean, you remember those, those ads where they, they smile and their teeth are literally like sparkling. It's like, you don't, like you said, you don't get the message that you're doing a good enough job and you get the message that you better rush and hurry the, the work hard to make money. It's like, you better get there fast. Cause there's only, you know, while supplies last, or you're going to, you know, you're going to be, you're not going to get the sale price on that item. So just building your awareness and realizing what kind of regular routines can you establish so that you're listening to the right messages, you're seeing the right information versus billboards that show you like, you know, all new cars that remind you like, yeah, my car, I haven't had a new car. And you drive down the street close to me and it's like one billboard after another, after another, it just make you feel like, oh God, yeah, I need a new car. Oh yeah, right. I need a new dress for that event. Oh boy, I haven't donated to that. Just pressure, pressure, pressure. So a daily, just like every day, you want to make sure you're getting certain vitamins and stuff. You want to get certain nutrients that fuel changes, healthy changes to your brain experiences that feel good, being an environment that, so if something is in your environment is annoying and bothering you, fix it. I changed the color of my office because it was it just was bothering me. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I can do something about that. I'm just, so make those kinds of changes. Make sure that you get nice sheets for your bed. I mean, the, again, the sensory information that comes in is really, really important. And if you don't wake up feeling good inside and your external environment's not good and you're not getting enough positive experiences, your brain is referencing previous experience and you don't have the help of a guide or a coach and you don't have a community to support you, it's going to be really hard to rewire your brain. But all of those things on a regular basis, repeated over and over again. That's what happened. Learning how to ride a bike anything, tying your shoes, anything you can do with your eyes shut without having to driving a car. It's because you did, you put the time and the effort into it. That's what you have to do. And then you know, whatever comes up along the way, what you say to yourself, what's getting in the way? Cause this is what I was going to do. And then you get, you get some help for that. Don't try to do it all yourself. And you're a great person to turn to. <laughs> you're so sweet. <laughs> yeah. I think I love the idea of like the importance of repetition. And I tell people you created this thought over lots of repetition, your twenties, 30 something years old. And you many times, like you said, 95% of our thoughts are unconscious. So you're just kind of like going along. And isn't it like your subconscious, like sort of beliefs are formed, like by the time you're seven or eight, a lot of something them. very, something very young, right? Yes. But I will say, because we used to think that they were, they were established by the time, definitely by the time you were like 18, they used to think, but it's your brain changes every day. 
based on the experiences you're having. So the problem is we tend to have the same experiences over and over again, but we tend not to seek out new experiences because when we seek out a new experience, the brain has to work harder. Remember, and the brain is really stingy, doesn't want to use more resources. It tries to like budget the body's resources. So if you're going to, if you're going to make changes in your mindset and you're going to rewire your brain, you're going to need to get more sleep. You're going to need to get more exercise. You're going to need to have a healthy diet. You can't be eating junk food and be doing this because if you do that, you, your body will have other physical ailments. And then people will say, oh, no, I don't feel good when I do all this work on my mindset or whatever. And you won't. That's what I'm saying. You won't feel good because just think about it. Anytime you get lost or confused or something, you have to say, turn off the radio and everything. You have to really focus your attention when you're got to do something difficult or you're confused. You really have to do that. Well, that's what's going to be required to make these changes. It's not like, oh, it's not going to be easy. So you're going to have to really, just like if you want to run a marathon, you got to prepare for it. You're doing something really big when you switch from being uncomfortable about money to, to becoming comfortable. So it's a marathon. It's not a one and done thing. And again, get help with it. Get a trainer. So huge. Will you, as we wrap up, will you repeat those books that you referenced at the beginning? If people, you said, if people are wanting to understand the brain a little bit more, will you mention what those are? And then we want all of your stats and where you're at. So people can be following along with you. I know you've got some cool resources and things like that. Sure. So again, it's Lisa Feldman Barrett. And I really think it's, it is the latest neuroscience because for years, the, the science has been dated. And there was this idea that, you know, we have like a lizard brain and then we have the midbrain, and then we have the, the higher level cor- cortex for higher level functioning. That is being starting to be proven to be not so accurate. And her book, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain is really good. And if you want to do a deeper dive into emotions, how emotions are made. So those are her, those are her two books. You actually find both of those books on my website which is just drelizabethcronin.com. So you can go to my website, drelizabethcronin.com. And you can listen to my interview with her. Um, There's a podcast page on my website. So you can find that there. Um, You can follow me on Instagram. I think that's just drelizabeth at drelizabethcronin. And I also have recorded guided, guided meditations on Insight Timer. And you can get a, you get a free account um, and access my recordings. So I have a bunch of guided, guided recordings there. And so I don't even know what that is. I'm sure if you just go to Insight Timer and you type in. Oh, I've um, done one before. They just have to find you. So just this search for your, you as one of the leaders or whatever, and they'll find your meditations there. Right. So when I'm, that's relatively new. I'm still working on that. If anybody listening today has an idea or suggestion, feel free to send me a message. You can email me at Dr. E. Cronin, Dr. E. Cronin at gmail.com. If anybody has any thoughts or ideas, wants to follow up, get in touch with me. I'm happy to hear from you. And um, yeah, just something like I say in my classes too, like, you know, don't go for perfection, go for patience and persistence. Hmm. Thank you so much for joining the show. I know that so many people are going to walk away feeling beautifully supported while being challenged. So this has been so informative and yeah. Thanks Elizabeth and go follow her. She also has on her website and we can make sure to connect that in our show notes, a guidebook that includes different mindfulness practices that you can try. And as she has referenced many times, that's so supportive as we try to enter into a new level, as we work to Uh, become uncomfortable, uh, which is something that the brain doesn't like, right? That you've shared. So mindfulness is so key in all of this. And um, so go grab that resource and figure out how you, what, how does it work for you? And what are might be some practices for you to begin um, incorporating more mindfulness into your daily routine? Thanks, Elizabeth. This has been such a joy. Thank you. Are you a creative entrepreneur looking for next level support when it comes to your money mindset and management? It's time to get on top of your numbers once and for all. Do you want to upgrade your lifestyle, make a bigger impact in the world, or gain more time back into your day? Your big dreams are all coming back to one thing, money. 
So I've developed a secret sauce money matrix formula to combine the power of an abundance mindset with money management tools specifically for creative entrepreneurs like you. Stop hiding from your numbers and start getting strategic. Head to www.aaronbridgman.com to learn everything you need to know about my coaching programs. It's time to completely transform and change the way you view and manage money so you can show up like the wealthy woman you are meant to be. Apply to work with me one-on-one at www.aaronbridgman.com.